This is the Rhino for Mets Weekly, and you're listening to the official Mets Weekly podcast, hosted by four Mets fans who are brutally honest and don't hold anything back. Be sure to head over to our YouTube channel, follow us on TikTok for exclusive content on each platform. So with all that being said, let's go Mets and enjoy the show. Now, I have had multiple segment requests to talk about the Mets possibly pursuing Trevor Bauer, and uh, I'm going to let people have that wish. So let's start with that segment, Trevor Bauer. Hell fucking In Spanish, no. <laughs> Episode number 36 of the Mets Weekly Podcast, 60 Minutes of Brutal Honesty. Intro, please. So as for our usual house cleaning, make sure to subscribe to the Mets Weekly channel for the premiere of this very podcast every single week. Turn on post notifications for instant live streams regarding breaking news all off-season long. Follow us on Twitter, TikTok, and all of our individual links that are in the description. So the Mets have made two notable additions, which we will get into in this week's podcast. We've seen the Mets linked to multiple different targets, multiple different areas for them to fill the roster, but right now we will see how that transpires because they are currently filled. It's a 40-man roster. All of those empty spots, they're all filled in, so we'll see who gets moved out, who gets DFA'd for when they continue to add because the offseason is still going. You know, now we're at that 40 spot. You know, everyone complained at the beginning of the season. Oh my God, they've got so many spots. And Stearns has worked his magic, went into the dumpster, and this is what you've got. And now, hopefully, Drew Smith maybe gets DFA because now any other move, we're on Drew Smith watch where, you know, somebody's going to get DFA'd or just outright gut. So maybe that's a benefit of, hey, maybe we can continue to start shedding some of the guys in the past regime. But yeah, uh, boring offseason as a fan, boring offseason as a content creator, but this is what they said, so we need to sit and enjoy our medicine at 74 fucking wins this year. I'm having fun. I don't know what you... Well, you like dog shit, so this is right up your alley. What happens when you hire a baseball nerd? What do you want me to say? It's perfect. What I'm curious about is that they should definitely add some more players, and then who comes off? You know, Do they go the pitching route, or do they go with the hitters? Because, I mean, when you look at the lot of these guys on here... They are new additions. You know, the Zach Shorts of the world, they just added, you know, Diego Castillo this week. But are these guys like Cooper Hummel and these guys all going to be here for the long run? Or, you know, do they finally get rid of Drew Smith? Uh, do they move on from a last year experiment? Uh, does a guy like Yoan Ramirez stay? I mean, that's what I want to see is because I feel like once the next group of guys comes in, you get a better feel of, you know, where Stearns actually values everyone because – Obviously, not everyone on the 40-man roster is equal as far as value-wise. You kind of get to see, like, of all these different, like, names they don't really know, which ones they really are going to prioritize once it comes to adding some more players on a full 40-man roster. So, yeah, as for the Mets this week, let's just jump right into it. And we all know that a few days ago, the Mets actually did make a major league signing, signing outfielder Harrison Bader to a one-year $10.5 million contract. Throughout his major league career, Bader has been known to provide tools at a plus level as a premier defender at all three outfield positions, a plus base runner with elite speed, and one of the strongest outfield arms in baseball. Bader is now 29 years old and coming off a 2023 season spent with both the Yankees and the Reds. 
Reds, slashing 232, 274, 348 with seven home runs and a 70 weighted runs created plus across 344 plate appearances and 98 games played. Although he struggled at the plate in 2023, Bader continued to excel at his all-time specialty, which is hitting left-handed pitching. With a career 823 OPS against the platoon, Bader posted a 936 OPS and a 153 weighted runs created plus versus left-handed pitching last season. With the addition of Bader, the expectation is that the Mets will use his high run prevention capability to ease off some of the center field workload for Brandon Nimmo, who going into his 30s has had injury concerns in the past, regardless of his ability to stay healthy over the course of the last few seasons. The Mets variety of outfield options gets a bit deeper as Bader will be joining a depth chart of Brandon Nimmo, Starling Marte, Tyrone Taylor, DJ Stewart, and as well as minor league signings such as Trace Thompson. In addition to that, Bader will also be reuniting with his old college teammate Pete Alonzo, where the duo played two years together at the University of Florida. So we knew that the Mets needed another outfielder. We had talked about, you know, going into the season right now, you really only had Nemo and Marte as far as guys that you knew were going to be starters. You had to add someone. There were plenty of guys out there. I thought the Mets could use a nice power hitting left fielder. Uh, they went the other way and they went for a center field. They valued defense instead probably moving Brandon Nimmo over to left field. And I am curious to see how Nimmo is going to play out there in left field. And if he's going to continue that philosophy of playing deep, I wonder if maybe now he's in left field, if he'll maybe move up a little bit and see how that goes. And with how much he's improved in center field, you hope that he turns out to be an even better left fielder. I mean, that definitely would be good to see, have that quality defense, which obviously is very important to David Stearns. So they have that going for them. I felt that Bader wasn't the perfect fit for this lineup just because of the other question marks that are in this lineup. You know, are the Mets going to add a DH? Are they going to add a third baseman? And that's the thing that we've talked about as far as, okay, you still would like to have some power protection outside of P. Alonso, have some secondary power sources that aren't either one of the Francisco's when it's not Alonso. You felt like an outfielder was going to be a position where you could get some of that from, you know, whether it be a Teoscar Hernandez, even occasionally, sometimes Jorge Soler could play the corners a little bit. You at least have that offense opportunity. But with a guy like Harrison Bader, who we see him have, you know, a couple of nice moments for the Yankees in totality for his career, not a great offensive player. And then my biggest critique is just the injury history. I feel like with a team that already, even though you mentioned those other names depth wise, I'm not going crazy about Tyrone Taylor. I'm not going crazy about Trace Thompson and guys like that. So for Harrison Bader, this is a guy that you're lucky if you even get 100 games out of him. And like we always say, as you get older, it becomes even tougher to stay on the field. So if he does go down yet again, and if Starling Marte has another injury, what does this outfield look like? I mean, because you don't want Tyrone Taylor starting every day. I, I really feel like that's something the Mets should avoid. I felt that if they didn't already have a injury-prone guy installing Marte in their starting outfield, I wouldn't be as against this deal. I just think that for this current team, I don't think he was the right fit as far as who they should have targeted based off of the guys that were out there right now. Do I love the addition? Of course not. Because again, we said there's a robust outfield market of actual guys who can hit the ball over the goddamn fence. And you pick a guy who is a run prevention god. Yes, this is all what David Stearns get off, gets off on. And sure, is it nice to move Nemo to move him to the corner to keep him healthy? Sure. But again, I don't love putting Nemo in that homer happy position. Yes, he started to see some power this year, 24 homers. 
that's not his game. And now you're moving him to a power prolific position. And yes, is it great for his health? Sure. Is he going to be a great defensive? Sure. We've seen this and we had guys like Juan Lagares and all these guys. Sure. There was too many better options on the free agent market to play that corner position. And hell, even Luke Rayleigh just went for fucking nothing. You could have called Tampa Bay and got that guy, potentially. But again, don't want to make trades because, God forbid, you know, I think you get, I think David Stearns gets sinned if he makes a trade. So it's fine. Again, it's a, it's a major league contract. He's a major league player. It's just how much availability are you going to get out of him? And again, offensively, he's been awful. So, you know, are you going to get maybe a 75 W in OPS plus? That would be great. But again, like you said, he's good against lefties. If you're doing a platoon, sure. But again, you're Tyrone Taylor and you're still with DJ Stewart. Again, you have guys. I didn't think he was needed, especially if he's a platoon guy. When you had Taylor already here, you should have been prioritizing the goddamn thing we've been yelling about for 35 fucking years. But, you know, David Stearns and his run prevention, sure, it goes away. It's going to be great. So, again, it's a one-year deal. You can't be that mad at it. But, again, there was just better options. But, again, this is what David Stearns wanted. First and foremost, when I saw that the Mets signed Harrison Bader, it, I mean, the first thing that I asked was like, why? Like, <laughs> what was the reason for this? Because, I mean, mainly because you just kind of had a lot more of these, like you had a decent amount of these fourth outfield types. All these other little pieces that they've added in here with these tools of run prevention, like we've talked about before with David Stearns. I'd say that the main grab from this, it looks like the Mets, and this is a whole separate conversation, it looks like the Mets are looking to add power within just the DH, and they're not trying to look towards the corner outfield. They're looking at DH options, which kind of limits you a little bit because it looks like, you know, guys like Jorge Soler out there, Jock Peterson, or, you know, any of those guys out there, it seems like they want to play the corner outfield because they obviously want to value themselves as that. It seems like that is what the Mets are looking at. I'm okay with them getting a big power bat at DH if this is what this means. Other than that, Harrison Bader, definitely not the ideal one. This is probably the same way that I felt about Tommy Pham last year. Killing left-handed pitching, he had like a few different things that he did well, but it's like overall as an offensive player, he's not great, but he does do a little bit more than Tommy Pham. He's got more tools than Tommy Pham, but it's like that type of fourth outfielder guy who you expect to play a little bit more than he should. Tommy Pham turned out to be one of the best free agent signings that we had. I'm not going to relate the narrative to him being the best free agent signing that we had in Harrison Bader, but it's just not where I would have went. You didn't really see them connected to him that much. He makes the roster better. He does make this roster better. It does not make this roster more competitive. It makes it better, but it doesn't make it competitive. In that sense of what I mean, it's like the tools that he can provide, they're not what this team really does need. If he's in there, especially just to hit lefties, I'm okay with that. If he wants to play center field when we have a lefty, we've had the problem with lefties before. I'm okay with him being in the bottom third of the lineup. There still has to be, obviously, another infielder they bring in with the loss of Ronnie Mauricio, and they also need to address the DH position. Harrison Bader's fine, but again, that just can't be it.
That can't be the main bat that you bring in. I'm fine making the outfield depth even bigger than, than it was because it was a problem. It's been a problem for a long time. You've had injury concerns, and then you also have Drew Gilbert waiting in the wings to see what he does. And it looks like with this signing of Harrison Bader, it looks like they're going to try to give Drew Gilbert an equal chance in spring training, which I'm glad that they are. But again, that's not a guaranteed piece. I would have liked to get a power corner outfielder out of this instead of somebody like Harrison Bader. But if they want to address that in the DH in a position that has been so awful for the Mets since it was implemented, I'm fine with that. It's just not the direction I would have gone in. I think it's just a matter of, like you said, the fit. Like if you had, or if you already had the good DH and you already had like a big time power hitting third baseman as well. And you had, let's say, a team that was kind of constructed like the Phillies, where you have a lot of great bats, but, you know, watching those guys play the outfield is not exactly the most aesthetically pleasing thing to watch. Then a guy like Harrison Bader fits a little better. But I feel like the Mets kind of have the opposite problem right now, where it's like, okay, well, they don't really have a lot of great bats. So it's like, okay, our, our, we already had a quality defensive center fielder. So, like... Yes, we improved that, but we still had other things that need to be improved more, like you said. I am glad that they looked at this, though, probably with the eyes of we're not going to completely invest into the stretch that DJ Stewart had. And I think that DJ Stewart yeah. uh, was good when he was called up. And I think that he's a solid bat that could maybe come off the bench in a pinch. But again, you know, he, he hasn't really proven that much throughout his career. Decent hitting profile. Solid power maybe off the bench, but again, he shouldn't be as far up on the depth chart, especially uh, in the outfield sense, considering he's not the best defensive player. We'll see just how good he is against left-handed pitching because there were times during the season where teams were purposely aligning all, a lot of their left-handed starters to face the Mets in their upcoming series. So maybe if he could at least help a little bit with that, I would feel a little better with the signing. But again, he needs to be on the field in order to do that. That That's the thing that I, I feel like worries me is that it's not like, okay, you just have the offensive concern, but he's durable. It's like he, the fact that he has both of those things going against him. That was what I disliked the most because, you know, we talk about ifs and things like that. The fact that this guy's the two biggest ifs, I feel like it is a little concerning when you gave him this amount of money to not be a platoon guy, you gave him that money to in all likelihood be a starter. And the thing is that, you know, other than the Mets, how often do you face left-handed pitching nowadays? So th that's a couple of the other things that I'm curious to see too about, you know, how much does actually help with the way the Mets have struggled with lefties? I do think that like the, the ifs can definitely be solved with quantity and they do have like a decent amount of outfield options. They're not the sexiest, they're not the greatest, but they do have the like a few outfield options where they can provide you tools, they can give you some defense, they can somewhat contribute offensively if they're not starting every single day. Obviously, the quantity situation is also another, you know, something that we can talk about with the pitching, of course. It just wasn't where I would have gone. I don't think it's bad. Like, I don't think it's awful, but it's not the best way that I would have gone with it. Having a guy like Harrison Bader, he can help you win ball games. He definitely could. It's like not really a position that they're looking to focus power on, and it's starting to limit a little bit. Like, you have maybe third base to replace Ronnie Mauricio, then you have the DH. And that's about it of all the all the positions they have pretty much available in the depth chart. Plug in some power to. But again, one of the main pet peeves for me, and I've said it all the time, I don't like to be lied to. Stearns has not lied one bit. He's talked about run prevention. He's talked about getting pitching. He has not lied one 
bit. This is what I was expecting, these types of signings. So I'm not really enraged and surprised that it's happening. Now, David Stearns also made another addition, this one to the starting rotation. The Mets have signed left-handed pitcher Sean Manaya to a two-year, $28 million contract, which includes a player option after year one. Manaya is a former first-round pick by the Royals back in 2013, and since his debut in 2016, he has had his ups and downs, establishing himself as a solid mid-rotation arm with Oakland 2016. The 31-year-old Southpaw is coming off a rough campaign in San Francisco where he posted a 4.44 earned run average, 3.90 fielding independent pitching, striking out 25.7% of batters across 117.2 innings pitched and 37 appearances, only making 10 starts and the rest out of the bullpen. At the All-Star break last year, Manaya worked with driveline baseball to improve his repertoire, adding velocity with more torso rotation and deepening his arsenal. For the second half of the season, Manaya's new pitch mix includes Included a fastball sitting at 94 to 95 and touching 97, a high-profile gyro slider and a brand new sweeper in the mid-80s, and a hard changeup with more efficient spin, as well as also adding a brand new splitter, which he has yet to debut. Manaya now joins the Mets rotation that currently consists of Kodai Senga, Jose Quintana, Luis Severino, Adrian Hauser, and the sixth arm possibility of Tyler McGill, Joey Lucchese, Jose Budo, and David Peterson, who is expected to miss an extended period of time recovering from hip surgery. According to Will Salmon of The Athletic, the Mets are most likely finished adding to their starting rotation, pivoting to the DH and reliever market. Manaya is now the first and only multi-year contract the Mets have given out since David Stearns was hired as the team's president of baseball operations. It's better than Carlos Carrasco. I mean, I, there's a positive, but again, it's not really saying much. Most pitchers are better than Carlos Carrasco, but it's fine. It, the ability to opt out, just again, it's kind of a one-year deal. But if he does have another shitty year, he's going to opt back into that deal and take the $14 million next year. So I'm not mad. It's the, one of the better options out there. Again, I would have preferred – I liked him over some of the older options. So, you know, if this driveline BS actually works, sure, he turns into, you know, this great – goes back to his Oakland form, be great. But, you know, it's a fifth starter. And, you know, hell, even Trevor Williams kind of swingman role, we'll see. It's fine. I'm not going to lose my shit over this. It's, I like this one more than Luis Severino because at least there's some upside where Luis Severino is just garbage, but it's fine. I just didn't love a lot of the starting pitching options out there. You know, once Yamamoto got signed and you feel like the Mets have taken that same approach, you know, to go from offering a 12-year contract to now trying to stay in that one and in this case, two-year window, I feel like that really says a lot about how they evaluate a lot of the other starting pitchers who just really aren't worth it right now. Like we, you've said, you haven't really seen the market move for Blake Snell or Jordan Montgomery, these other guys. There just hasn't been too much to like out there. So you're taking a, a little bit of a gamble with someone like Sean Manai, who is younger, has a little more upside you now with the driveline and things like that. His second-half numbers, they're better than his first-half numbers. He also spent plenty of time in the bullpen uh, for the Giants this season. But the fact that it, the at least the Mets can do a six-man rotation now if, if that's something that they choose to do. At least they have – the amount of pitchers that it's necessary to do it for. I don't think it's a great rotation, but at least they have a rotation now. Whereas before we're like, who is it now? At least we know who it is. I still feel like it could be upgraded, especially at the top. I feel like, okay, you have your one, you have a few guys who can make a case for a number three, like Quintana. He can make a case Severino at the four, you know, Manai at the five, Hauser at the six. Like that sounds good. I swear they're missing at least a number two. I, that's the one thing I really would like to see them get. And they don't have any name one crazy, but I feel like just another guy who's 
got a little more get, gives you some more innings and things like that and could just kind of more consistently is not giving up a ton of runs I feel like would have been ideal but for Sean Manaya, I do wonder how they're going to go about as far as you know who is that sixth man you know if it is Tyler McGill you know do you put Joey Lucchese in the minor leagues um, does Sean Manaya do a little bit of starting and relieving and you have if McGill does have like a really good spring training or something like that and you have Hauser in the rotation or does Hauser become the long man I just like that it gave them options now it gave them a little more depth to where it's not like, okay, well, now so-and-so has to be our fifth starter. They now have the opportunity where it's like, okay, this guy can go to the minors, that guy can go to the bullpen, and then this guy can be in the rotation. You kind of play it and see how it goes, see if there's guys who all of a sudden get on a hot streak or guys who are struggling, and you can kind of change things up and kind of switch up the matchups a little bit, you know, having a second lefty in the rotation. So, again, the Mets can kind of utilize that as well. You know, you see some teams try to have their all their lefties face the Mets. Well, now they have an opportunity to do that to other teams having two left-handers in the rotation. So, you know, again, like Andrew, I hope the driveline stuff does work. You know, the fact that the velo was up. We'll see if going from bullpen to starting rotation, it, it might be a little harder to uh, maintain that velocity. And the other thing is with Sean Manai is that he wasn't working deep into games when he was starting. So that's kind of feels more of what a true like number six starter is in the six man rotation. Whereas a guy that, okay, he gives you the four to five things and then the bullpen kind of takes over. So that's why I I still feel like a guy like Jordan Hicks or another one of those guys who kind of give you those multiple inning relievers would be a really, really nice fit for this team that they could use. I, I feel like that's kind of the glaring weakness of this pitching staff right now is they don't have that, you know, nice middle reliever that can kind of do the sixth, seventh and set it up for Diaz and hopefully Lopez can kind of bounce back and be the eighth inning guy. But I feel like that would be a very nice compliment if you are going to be having a six man rotation. Yeah. I'd say that there is uh, some concern with the possibility of Manaya going back into the Mets starting rotation after just pitching out of the bullpen for a majority of the season last year. But that is the magic of a six-man rotation. You have that extra piece of rest. They're able to pitch at more max effort. They're able to pitch and utilize their talents a lot more with a six-man rotation with that extra day of rest. You also have that kind of extra long reliever type of guy, which Sean Manaya was last year. And you also have that matchup advantage, too, if you care about the lefty-lefty. This is a huge strikeout pitcher from the left side of the map. He could be a reliever if you need him to be a reliever. This is a six-man rotation type of pitcher right here. After what we saw last year with him going out of the bullpen, adding velocity, this is the perfect six-man rotation guy right here. You can put him in the bullpen uh, on maybe some short rest, and then you can give him the extra day of rest to throw at this max effort th that he has elevated to at 97 miles an hour, 96 miles an hour with a fastball, adding a splitter. Like, this is the perfect fit for a six-man rotation. I think I'm a little bit higher on this than both of you guys are. I'd like to see the Mets just go with quantity because they've just, once again, relied on so many older guys to do such a bigger workload. Now you have the workload spread out a little bit with a possibility of a six-man rotation. I do agree with Frank that the Mets really do need to try and get a two. I would try to do that, even though we've seen Severino be a two before. We've seen Manaya pitch like a two before. We've seen all these guys do that, but there is like a little bit of doubt in consistency. Like I think that if you maximize the effort if you maximize the talent and the tools that he applies, 
you can get 150 innings from Shamanai. I'd like that the guy could at least get through it because that was my concern with Severino was the health thing. So if Shamanai, I mean, even if it's not great, just the fact he's able to make the starts, and we've seen all the injuries McGill has had as well, that's obviously really important. And then finally, Quintana again. It was a freak thing, but he didn't miss some time. You do need at least one of those guys outside saying that could be there for every five days. Hauser's been durable too. Yeah, dur- durable as well. Yeah, he gives you he gives you a lot of innings as well. And that's the thing about a, a six man rotation you 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 piece together a lot of different situations, and it all just works a lot more fluid than a five man rotation. I mean, that's just kind of just how it needs to be because of the injuries that you see. With, I mean, you you can get the most out of more pieces out of a six-man rotation you can see some replaceable pieces as well and plug some in you have some prospects as well that maybe if they do impress in the upper levels of the minor minor leagues you can maybe give them a start there's a few you know that will be in triple a maybe it is lucchese or budo or or mcgill obviously i would in my opinion trade for one of somebody like cease or lazardo or uh peralta or uh, Keller or something like that, a young, controllable piece that you can put at the top of your rotation to pair up with Sanga. So when we're talking about the number two pitcher, even though that guy might not be there in free agency for this season, you can make the case that the guy is there for next season. And I feel like the guy that would fit yeah. that is Brandon Woodruff because we've seen Woodruff pitch like a number two. He's out there. You could get him on a deal very similar to what you just gave Sean Manaya AAV-wise. And then next season, let's say Sean Manaya does opt in or whatever and he had like an okay year. At least you have something that's like, okay, you have Sango. Woodruff, Manaya, you know, and then let's say Hauser. Okay, it should be relatively yeah. cheap. Like you you're going to lose Quintana too. Yeah, like you. Stage, but yeah. again, you kind of fill in another event, but you can make a similar rotation while having a number two at like at not a number two cost for next season. So it, it, that's what I say. You slowly like kind of fill it out and, and build the arms, and like you just have that upgrade where if you, which again, if Stearns is so into I want to build like another Milwaukee and you make the trade for Hauser Tyrone Taylor. It's crazy to me that they haven't gotten Brandon Woodruff, honestly, because like that that's literally one of his Milwaukee guys. Unless he feels that his arm is just not gonna recover and he's not gonna be the same guy. I I'm just he's right there. I just don't think there's gonna be really that much mirroring of Milwaukee as people think he's going to. Like I don't think that Stearns is treating like a small market team. I think that he's just looking at this current situation and understanding the type of predicament that the Mets are in right now. I put this out on Twitter. I said Stearns is literally using his balls instead of just Cohen's money. That Ep- what Epler did. I mean, he just literally just threw money at at every situation. Did not provide any depth. That's what he did. Oh yeah, and it worked out fantastic for you, didn't we it? We won a hundred and one. Look at your damn payroll. I'll take that again. Yeah, exactly. Let's do it a third time in a row. Because yeah. third time's a charm. Exactly. Right now, it's kind of just better to take bets on trying to catch lightning in a bottle. Right now, trying to catch, you know, bringing in like these younger pieces that are on the cusp of breaking out or on the cusp of bouncing back or on the cusp of staying healthy in a six-man rotation. I mean, we we have gotten reports that the Mets are tied to a guy like Brandon Woodruff, and I'm sure we are going to probably talk about this in depth, like maybe, I don't know, next week or the week after that, because there are still other pieces out there that I'd like to see the Mets pursue. But if they are done here, I'm fine with this. But again, it, it just has to be more of a system 
then like you're bringing in like these pieces of known names. I mean, you can't just sign names to sign names. Like you just can't do that. One other thing to look at is that, you know, throughout this whole off season, the Mets with them taking this short term approach with these one year contracts, they've kind of built an out for if they want to kind of move on from some of these veterans at the trade deadline, if other teams are contenders and want to build for it. But on the flip side, you know, right now we haven't fully heard Corbin Burns being available or we haven't really heard too much of Shane Bieber being available. If the Mets play halfway decent, I wonder if they would consider the trade at the trade deadline to get a starting pitcher to actually get a number two and get you a Freddie Peralta or somebody like that. And then all of a sudden you have that complete rotation actually going into the postseason because what I feel is that this rotation, it could get you through a season – I don't feel great about it in the postseason. I, I feel like they still need that number two that, you know, because it, it just makes it really hard to win a series, especially even with the lineup that they have. They, they can't. This lineup cannot bail out the current rotation that they have. While they, it's okay rotation, it's not playoff count. Yeah, I think that what they're doing is they're just thinking about taking it just like this day-by-day thing of just trying to get through a season with healthy starters. If you get a good amount of innings from six guys – like it will be fine, but again, like going into the postseason, if they are competitive, I think that they are going to look at the pitching market to get a legit number two to put behind Kodai Senga in that rotation, obviously. You know, hopefully you also see Severino or Manaya somehow stick and you get a good one, two, three after that uh, trade deadline. You also have this scenario where the Mets, maybe they're not good and they're not competing. You have some of these uh, short-term contracts and you can trade them off at the deadline. And then you also can see some of you, call up some of your prospects when you're out of this out of the race and see what you got with them. They just want to keep it all flexible for now while they evaluate all the talent they have throughout the organization. And I'm fine with that. I'm fine with them doing that. If they want to put an actual process in place instead of stitching together crap every single year and throwing money at anything that breathes, I'm fine with it. Speaking of the trade market, let's talk about it, but not in the way that you think. A few days ago, Mike Puma of the New York Post reported that the Mets have indicated to team they are open to trading catcher Omar Narvaez behind breakout star catcher Francisco Alvarez. Narvaez is reportedly welcoming a chance to play somewhere with semi-regularity. Regarding a trade involving Narvaez, the Mets also have Tomas Nito making $2.1 million for the 2024 season after the Mets bought out his last two years of arbitration last year. Narvaez will be owed $7 million in 2024 after exercising his player option that was included in his two-year $15 million contract that he signed last offseason. Unless you're eating a lot of money, and you're eating all that money, there ain't going to be a lot. Like, oh, my God, a line for Omar Narvaez. Maybe the Yankees, again, but Austin Wells kind of has that competition, so there's the Yankees out. Seattle, maybe. You know, they lost Tom Murphy, maybe. But, again, you have to eat every single dime of that deal for them to even think about it. Uh, White Sox, but, again, like all the bad teams you can think of, Colorado, like at least they released uh, Elias Diaz. They don't really have a catcher. So that's another team that could make a little bit of sense. This is, again, with a bad player on a bad contract. I guess the Mets could eat all the money, sure. It's just a weird fit. I mean, again, you look at some bad teams. Maybe Cleveland, too, is another team. Maybe you can look at it. It's like, hey, you eat seven or six and a half million dollars. You can maybe get them to discuss this point. 
you know, again, coming off a bad year with a bad deal, there will maybe somebody again, it all maybe this is maybe even a spring training thing that this is, let's say spring training, somebody comes in with a starting catcher, gets injured in spring training. I don't think this is happening anytime soon. This would be kind of a wait in spring training. Somebody gets hurt. And then, oh, you know, the Tigers lost Eric Haas or whatever the hell his name is. They need a catcher. They pay, the Mets pay the money. They could take Narvaez off their hands and be getting an everyday catcher again. So I'm not expecting anything soon. I can understand from the Mets' perspective and Omar's perspective uh, side being like, I want to play baseball. But, yeah, obviously Alvarez here, even though catchers shouldn't. He can still get some playing time. Obviously Alvarez getting the majority of it. But, again, if he wants to get out of here, if, as long as it doesn't become that big of a distraction, you can hold this off to uh, spring training and then just kind of wait to see if maybe an injury for a team chops up. This was one of my main problems with it being a two-year deal was I, I felt that, you know, even if they did want to give Alvarez the one year, I really didn't think he would need two years. So now you're basically stuck with Omar Narvaez getting overpaid for a second season. And you're like, oh, well, now we have this thing that we don't really need that we could try to go elsewhere. And for the Mets, I, I do wonder – what kind of approach they would take, you know, are they going to take the approach of, okay, maybe we'll pay most of the contract so that we can get maybe a major league reliever or someone like that. Or would they kind of go more of the route of let's take some prospects, some lower level prospects with high upside that have some kind of tool that we really like. So that's what I, I wonder what they would do uh, for me. If there's any way they can kind of a win-win deal where they have an arm that no team has that give you that, reliever i was talking about that bridge guy that gives you a couple innings if you can get that for omar Narvaez, i think that would be a win-win for both teams involved but if not you know anytime you get some more arms and just young talent into the organization you do it but like andrew said i, I don't think it's something that a lot of teams are going to be clamoring for uh as far as the contenders you don't see them you know really looking for a catcher right now so I, I think that's the other big thing to keep in mind is that those teams that are aggressive you know they kind of have the catchers that they want so they're not going to be, be like oh my gosh we gotta make the trade for Nevada's but listen I hope the Mets could get it done because I, I just feel like it's, it's a waste of 10 million if you could find if you get an asset that is more use, useful for your team right now then that's something they really should be going for. I was actually pretty surprised, to be honest, because there seemed to be quite a connection between uh, Stearns and Narvaez because he was like the catcher for a decent amount of time there in Milwaukee. Um, but I understand the reason as to why Narvaez would want to play elsewhere because, I mean, he's going to be up for another contract and he obviously would want to uh, play it out. He's in his 30s. And, you know, I, I think that, you know, Tomas Nito, it's probably just comes out of a respect from uh, pitchers who just prefer Tomas Nito. Like, they like him a lot. Uh, and Narvaez has just really not really had much playing time. I think that Narvaez has served his purpose as a mentor for a guy like Francisco Alvarez, who is still very, very young. They needed to bring in somebody else to obviously, like, show him the reins with that. You just never know with prospects. I mean, it's either they struggle or they don't struggle. I don't think that there's going to be much of a hassle to get him out of here as compared to, like, it was with James McCann. Because, again, this is just one year that you have him. Like, it's just one year of control. James McCann was making, it was like two years of control, and he was making $10 million a year. So I don't think that it's really hard to move. Obviously, I think that the Mets will probably have to cover a decent amount of it. They probably would have to dumb it down to league minimum for everybody else. Again, you're, you're, you're paying James McCann as well to fuck off this year. 
and you're paying like what what is a what is another seven million to that to that uh those retained salaries maybe they attach something else with him maybe drew smith um but you know you can just attach something to him uh to make it a little bit more appealing look at again it's a backup catcher so i don't really really like really care backup catchers are really these days are not really good players i think that narvaez and nito it's pretty much like the same to be honest i don't understand why you're being so hard on narvaez frank i mean he's a former all-star yeah but not when you have francisco alvarez that, that was my thing is that alvarez is better so he didn't why play at all alvarez didn't play at all in the major leagues he struggled in the major league yeah in a week they gave him a week and they said okay we need another catcher like yeah exactly he didn't prove himself yet so they had to get bring in somebody. But you're okay with giving four years to James McCann. Alvarez was far from being ready. Meanwhile, Alvarez was ready when they got Narvaez. Drive a hot bargain. All right. As for more about the Mets outfield, Starling Marte finally returned to action this week playing Dominican winter baseball. After undergoing groin surgery in late 2022, Marte struggled mightily in 2023 to produce and also as well stay on the field, posting just a 625 OPS across 341 plate appearances and 86 games played. So far in Winter League, Marte is three for six with two singles, a double, two walks, and has played just five innings in right field after starting the first game at DH. The amount of playing time in right field is yet to be determined in winter ball for Marte as he continues to get closer to 100%. Going into a 35-year-old season, Marte is still on the Mets books through the 2025 season and will be owed $19.5 million for the next two years. As it currently stands, Starling Marte is expected to be the Mets starting right fielder on 2024 opening day on March 28. He's a guy that we've been talking about a lot. You know, our concerns, is he going to be healthy and, and things like that. Uh, I just like that he is able to play baseball. You know, he's able to actually be on a baseball field because that's literally the number one question with him. However, I think that following the injury that Ronnie Marusio suffered in winter league ball, I was a little surprised that your most injury prone player would also be playing in Dominican winter ball. I feel like that's a little bit of a risk, uh, and I hope that Stoney Marte doesn't overdo it while he's there. I hope he kind of just gets his rhythm when it comes to you know being at the plate, swinging, just getting his timing going. And other than that, take it easy on the base paths, even in the outfield. Take it easy. No, no don't die for anything unnecessary. You just don't do anything that would really, especially if you have a lower body injuries. Do not do anything that would you know compromise it further or damage it further. So. I really do want to make sure I, I want I hope that the Mets kind of make sure that they really just are taking it easy with him and just making sure that come spring training, at least his bat is ready to go. Because other than that, it's just not worth testing anything else. Uh, you don't want to see him get hurt in get in playing baseball when it's not with the Mets. I, I feel like to lose two guys like that, that would just be really silly. So um, I, I just hope that he's just playing it smart right now. He needs reps, so like he was gonna play somewhere if it was Dominican Republic, Puerto Rico, Mexico. There's you know so many international winter winter ball leagues. He was gonna have to play because when he played like three games, it felt like obviously he gets hurt with the groin because he's got a bad painish, and then we see him dancing in the club, which we will not talk about. But my expectations are like I said, kind of in the <laughs> insert clip here. Kind of like I said in the Bader segment, I'm not expecting much. Again, I'm expecting the bare minimum from a guy who has always been hurt throughout when he was in his prime. And even as he's aged, he's still always getting hurt. So I'm expecting 
less than 81 games. If he gives me any quality, sure. But again, that's why I was so like, you need to go get a guy who can play the corner because he's not dependable. He's not you no know, smart, tough, dependable ball player. He's not. You know, he's always, even in his prime, he wasn't that. But if we can get him to 70% of what he was in 2021, when his team was good, 22, they win the playoffs, if we can get that guy, 70% of that guy, hell, even if you just stick him in the nine hole, that's for more production that you've had from last year. So, but am I expecting anything from him? No. That's why, again, I wanted them to be a little more, you know, let's get a couple of major league quality outfits, which technically they did, but I was looking for higher quality. But, you know, if it's kind of what, it's a coin flip of what you get. I'm not expecting, you know, prime Marte, but again, I'm also not expecting him to be on the field and just, all right, whatever you get from him is kind of an excess and you still have another $20 million next year attached to his name. You're wrong about the nine hole thing because that's where Alvarez was batting. So they did get a lot of production from there. Oh, God. I, I understand what you're saying. You have way too many nine hole hitters here. Okay? Yes. <laughs> it's <laughs> true. I mean, that, we, Carson actually talked about that before uh, we started. You know, does Bader bat ninth? Does Beatty bat ninth? Does Marte bat ninth? Or do they stick Alvarez does there Jeff again? Like, Neil hit ninth? Like, there's just too many. Yeah, you could, like, though. I mean, like, they actually. It's weird. They actually do have way too many guys like a bat ninth. Isn't it crazy? They had so many goddamn leadoff hitters like two years ago. Now they have all these nine hole hitters. Best case scenario, they're leadoff hitters. Worst case scenario, they're nine hole hitters. <laughs> when I look at starting Marte right now, you just hope you get the best out of it because, like, again, we talked about the back end of this contract, and it's already been a concern uh, in the second year after having this core groin surgery that he had after the 2022 season where he was really good. He was banged up towards the end of the season as well, and it kind of just all Dang. fell apart since then. This man is trying so hard not to laugh right now. You can just see it. I just want to get it done. I just, okay. I mean, I understand like Mets fans being concerned about this with the PTSD of Diaz and Mauricio both going down in games that are not played in Mets uh, uniform and also not played during the Mets regular season. But in this case scenario, Starling Marte has to play and he just has to rehab during the off season. And it'd be nice to see him actually play baseball games instead of just rehabbing himself and seeing what production it is. I understand the Dominican Winter League. There's not much competition there, but it's good to just see him play baseball. Dude, you got Abraham Almonte as the fucking star player there, okay? He had a bloop double off of Fernando Rodney. All right, just shut up. <laughs> I'd like to see him play because, again, even before all of these injury concerns started off with Marte in a Mets uniform, we still had these ding-ups and these slowdowns in spring training. We're like, oh, Marte is not going to play until week three of spring training. Okay, great. And we just did not know what was going on with him. And then we also had the concern with Nimmo taking kind of a rest and everything. I mean, there was tons of stuff um, with that. And again, I just want to see the guy play baseball and see what he's got. I'm not expecting him to be great. But to be honest, you you just said 70% of what he, if we can get 50% of what we got from in 2022, because he was great in 2022. He was one of our best players. But if we can get, just get 50% of that, 
um, after recovering from multiple injuries that he has had, we've talked about this before, the Mets need to look at Marte as a non-factor. And I, to be honest, after this addition to uh, Harrison Bader and how this outfield is looking, you better hope Drew Gilbert breaks out in spring training. But yeah, it's good to see Marte at least playing. And it looks like he's near 100% running, it looked like, in the limited clips that we saw from him. If he can have an earlier spring training than everybody else with the health concerns he has had, I'm all board, on board with that, especially with it seems like what they're kind of banking on with him out of all the out-of-field additions that they have made. We'll see what happens. Again, you got honest to God, I really hope we see Drew Gilbert break out in spring training, so maybe we get a little bit of that, but... Again, this is a prospect. I just don't like banking on it or or plugging it in. Um, and and I think that if Starling Marte did not have the injury concern and the concern of the contract and everything like that, I probably would like the Harrison Bader edition a little bit more. So now that brings us to the questions that you guys sent to us. For those of you who don't know, if you want to ask a question of your own, click the link in the description, fill out our form with your Mets-related question along with your name, and it could be featured on the next episode of the Mets Weekly Podcast. This one comes from Tyler K. Will Blade Tidwell make the major leagues this year. Andrew, last week you said that Hidwell was the Mets' best prospect. You gave him a huge torch. Do you see him in the major leagues this year? I'm going to go no because I'm trying to be conservative and not kill him right away. If this team is injured to hell, which we expect, I think there's a shot. But I think you could put the guys like Scott and even Dom Hamill ahead of him because those guys have had some at least upper level, more experience in the upper levels and are Obviously, you've got the Budos and the Casey's again. So it would have to go through, you know, a normal Mets season. So by mid-June, everybody's dead. Um, but if everything, let's say, doesn't break in the system, I wouldn't like to see him. Like, let him just – again, he was an older tra- – he came out of college, correct? I'm pretty sure he came out of college. Yeah, Tennessee. So, you know, I wouldn't try to kill him right away. I mean, if you're telling me it ends in September and, like, there's – again, they've had an awful season – and just, you know, boost some ticket sales and like, oh, you know, let's say have give a kid a shot. Sure. I think there's a shot of that. But if, let's say, everything goes relatively normal to a normal team, I'd say next year is when you would probably see Blade. But again, with this po- with this organization, who the hell knows? He might be the freaking number two starter by mid-May. I'm also going to go no. Uh, I-, I think one of the reasons why is because, you know, the Mets have had a couple guys talk about, you know, Mania guys like that. Uh, I feel like he's not like the next man up kind of thing. Um, the other thing to keep in mind is that uh, Christian Scott pitched better than him. So I, I feel like Christian Scott is ahead of him. Uh, I think Mike Vassell, he pitched better than him as well. All, you know, when all three of those guys were in Binghamton, Blade Tibble was the worst of them. You know, he there wasn't as much of an improvement going from Brooklyn to Binghamton. So I think uh, based off like Angela, there's a ton, a ton of injuries. I think that there's a few guys ahead of him, even within the prospects that he wouldn't be the guy that gets called up. I feel like you have a better chance of seeing a Christian Scott or a Vassal. I'm actually going to say that he will be here, but it's going to be later, uh, way, way, way later. The only possibility I think is if they sell at the deadline, you're going to see, you're going to see some of these guys get their shot in the major leagues. Again, Blade Tidwell is going to come into a 23 year old season. You know, he's young, but not too young. Like you could see him pitch, uh, at the major league level. Um, and, you know, this could be like one of those breakout years where he does start off in double A, 
gets a little bit in AAA, and then I'm hoping that there isn't a scenario where we do see him. I kind of want to see him next year. Again, you have to think about the worst-case scenario. If they do sell at the deadline, I do think that Blade Tidwell will get a shot to pitch at the major league level. I think that you're going to see Vassal and Scott first. I think you'll see Hamill, possibly. Tidwell is definitely on the list. He's definitely on the list for a seller's Mets team towards the end of the season, uh, you know, in, in September or something like that. You know, it, it, he's that type of profile of prospect where it's like Ronnie Mauricio, where he was called up as September call-ups. Like, he's that type of profile of prospect. So I would definitely, I wouldn't rule it out, but I'm hoping there's a scenario where he isn't up here. But I would not rule out the possibility of him coming up and getting, you know, one or two starts at the major league level towards the end of the season. So now it is time for my top five, my list, my opinion, which was originally called Carson's Criteria in the old live show that we used to do. Um, I give out a list of a category, in my opinion, explain my reasoning as to why. This time I'm going to do top five free agent relievers for the New York Mets. It looks like that is one of the areas that they have yet to look at as much they might add one or two left because again we'd like to push drew smith down the jet chart as far as possible start off with number five being lou trevino after missing all of 2023 due to tommy john surgery the yankees non-tendered trevino earlier this offseason back back in 2022 trevino was a tale of two halves after a tough start in oakland he was shipped to the yankees in the frankie montas trade where he posted a 1.66 earn run average 3.34 fielding independent pitching striking out 23.7 percent of batters in 21.2 innings pitch trevino is a hard-throwing right-hander with the kitchen sink a four-seam slash running sinker combo both in the high 90s a super sweeping slider a hard gyro style cutter a screwball like changeup, and a strong sweeping curveball in the high 70s with high leverage strikeout stuff trevino does have the occasional control issues but commands the zone fairly well inducing ground balls at a high rate and also as a great barrel suppressor returning from injury trevino would probably be a perfect one-year deal as he enters the typical reliever prime at age 32. number Number four, Ryan Stanek. Since finding an ideal home in Houston, Stanek has emerged as one of the most underrated relievers in all of baseball. In the last three seasons, Stanek has posted a 2.90 earned run average, a 3.91 fielding independent pitching, striking out 27% of batters across 173.2 innings pitched with the Astros. Best way to describe this guy is pure gas, no breaks. A four-seam fastball that sits at 97 to 98 and touches 100, a hard gyro slider, with RPMs near 2,500 and a high 80s to low 90s splitter with extra late break. Although he does have some control issues, which has improved while he was in Houston, Stanek's ability to strand runners from the stretch at an 80% clip is very redeeming. If the Mets were to sign Stanek, he would easily slide into the eighth inning role, giving you a dangerous back end unit 
with Brooks Raley and Edwin Diaz. Also, this guy's energy is unmatched. He runs on adrenaline. He belongs in New York. Number three, Shintaro Fujinami. After signing a one-year deal with Oakland last offseason, Fujinami really struggled, posting a 14.26 earned run average in 17.2 innings pitched as a starter. After moving to the bullpen and being traded to Baltimore, Fujinami was a lot better in a total of 61.1 innings pitched in relief. Although the results have been rough, the upside is still there at age 29 for Fujinami. The hard-throwing right-hander harbors a four-seamer sitting at 97 and 98 that touches 102, a high 90s gyro action splitter, a low spinning cutter in the high 80s, and the occasional sweeping action slider. Even though it has improved, there has been a huge problem with Fujinami regarding empty velocity and inconsistent pitch shape, with, but with a fantastic foundation of weapons, there's a strong possibility that whatever team signs him could unlock a massive amount of potential depending on the situation. I see a situation where the Mets could sign the struggling Fujinami to a split contract, which prorates salary and service time in the minor and major leagues. It's a project for, for sure. It's a project for sure, but definitely the type of tools and upside that David Stearns would be looking for. Number two, Yariel Rodriguez. One of my personal favorites on the entire free agent market, Rodriguez is an international free agent out of Cuba. He's 26 years old and was featured in the 2023 World Baseball Classic for Team Cuba, where he dominated in that sense and also posted a 1.15 earned run average in Japan out of the bullpen. Yariel is a two-pitch arm with a high profile, featuring a big four seam that touches 98 miles an hour and a hard-cutting slider with RPMs in the 2900s. As young as he is, Rodriguez could require a three to four year deal. And even though we haven't seen the Mets in his market, I just just had to mention it. Although he has not been talked about much among top relievers on the market, I can almost assure you that in a couple of years, Rodriguez will be one of the best relievers in all of baseball. Maybe a pipe dream at this point, but I would pull the trigger if I'm the Mets. Number one, Robert Stevenson. On the verge of a breakout as a formerly highly touted prospect, Stevenson has some of the highest upside of any free agent reliever on the market. After struggling in Pittsburgh this year, Tampa scooped Stevenson up and he broke out completely post a 2.35 earned run average, a 2.45 fielding independent pitching, striking out 42.9% of batters across 38.1 innings pitched. Stevenson is a four-pitch reliever with a late rising fastball in the upper 90s that can touch 99 miles an hour and an explosive mid-90s slider with RPMs hovering around 3,000, a primary gyro-shaped cutter with extra spin, and the occasional high 80s splitter changeup hybrid pitch. He's got above average control and serviceable command that allows him to make manage contact fairly well paired with his explosive strikeout stuff. Stevenson is going to be one of the hottest relievers on the market, but out of a select few, he is one that I would be willing to give a multi-year deal to to solidify the back end of the Mets bullpen. At age 30, he has showcased his outstanding talent in the past, and there's definitely way more to come going forward. So there's my top five relievers that the Mets should go after. The best fits, tear it apart, Go ahead. We, we're blind as we always are with these top five. So as soon as you said it, I jotted down four. I couldn't even get, well, five because you kind of said the fifth guy at the five spot. You left two obvious names for me out. Let's start with the sexier name. I was Jordan Hicks not on this list. Where I love Robert Stevenson again. I love that. Yoriel Rodriguez, sure. I mean, I'm fine with that. But the fact that you would have Trevino higher than Hicks, that, that that's some explaining to do. You, you got a younger guy with... 
Mr. Stuff, all you care about is your stuff. Oh, you never stop talking about stuff. And this guy would probably the nastiest stuff in the league with 107 mile an hour cutter sinker bullshit that he throws. Uh, that. Um, and then for me, obviously, just because, again, the second lefty doesn't matter. But again, Jake Deakman, another one of these guys just on a one year cheap deal, kind of Lori Lopez, cheap ass one year deal to have that second lefty. Again, we've yelled about it for about 97 years. But, you know, that's kind of, again, what Stanek and Stevenson were two guys I loved. It was in, in the video. Rodriguez is a guy I've, I kind of forget. And we forget about, like, we saw they were interested in that first workout. They were there. And then we haven't really heard anything from anybody about him. So, I mean, like you said, he's a two-pitch guy. I'd be fine with it. But, again, just the obvious exception just being, how the hell is Jordan Hicks not on this list? That's just kind of the only, like, that's just kind of fucking stupid. That's, that's sexy. You're just leaving them off. I think Jordan Hicks gets a four-year deal. That's why I have him off here. Hunter, you want you want that back half? And I don't think the Mets are going to willing well, to do that. I mean, that. they are so, yeah, they are kind of pushy. That, that is it's true. more of a realistic situation of you plug these guys into their bullpen, and like it probably would help them in the best way. Yeah, I feel like Trevino is definitely a Stearns Hefner guy with the kind of stuff that he throws. I, I feel like I could see it. Like it, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, so he, him, I definitely think fits Stanek. I mean, who, who would say no to that? He's been solid these past few years, on, even, even on multiple different teams. So you definitely take that. Like you mentioned with Fujinami, he got off to a really bad start last season. I would be scared to take that risk, you know, just hoping that like, oh, well, we saw in Baltimore the real deal. I, I feel like there are other guys who are like slightly safer bets, like a Stanek, you know, like a Stevenson. Um, like I said, obviously I'd love Hicks, but, you know, Mets have been reluctant for the multi-year deals. I would say Rodriguez is definitely the most interesting one only because, you know, we just haven't heard anything about him. You know, I, I feel like that's the one that really is like the X factor here because uh, that would be a guy, I think, based off of like the way the Mets have approached this offseason of taking these flyers with potential high upside. I could see the Mets signing a Rodriguez before I could see them signing like a guy who's near 40 years old. It's just something like that. You know what I mean, I feel like that's the kind of approach that they've been taking the whole offseason. Uh, I'm surprised knowing you that you didn't have Hector Nervis on this list because you've talked about him a lot. So I, I was expecting to see him. Uh, I, I, I don't maybe take uh, Fujinami out and put like Nervis in there or something like that. Um, another lefty that Carson, you've mentioned before, Amir Garrett. He's another guy that that's still out there, younger than Diekman. Uh, you know, has the toughness that we like, has that dog, all, all those fun things. Their reliever market isn't crazy. I mean, they're not going to get Josh Hader. Uh, so, and obviously Liam Hendricks has the you know surgery and things like that. So, I think based off of the options that are available, these are most of the guys that you should see on that list. Uh, like I said, you know, there's a couple of things we do slightly differently, but. Uh, for the most part, I do agree with some of these. I, I think Trevino and Stanek are probably the two guys I feel like are most realistic uh, and I feel like would be good fits for this bullpen for sure. I mean, some of the guys that you guys just explained, Daenerys and Jake Diekman, and I just went with, these guys cannot be older than 35 years old. That's literally what yeah. I went with because it's just like yeah. when I'm seeing the back end of what I've been, the Mets have been relying on of Adovino, who's 80 years old and uh, Tommy Hunter, Tommy Hunter, and and you know all this, David all this crap, David Robertson, all this Brad crap. I mean, listen, they're good pitchers, but like we've already seen the best of them. Like we can't we can't really see them raised to another level. I think that all five of these guys, the best is yet to come for them in their career. And I think that you know catching lightning in the bottle is probably the best way to do it with relievers, obviously, because they're just so finicky in a way. Overall, like Shintaro Fujinami, I think that this is like just like a perfect situation 
But again, it has to be like a split contract or a minor league deal or something like that um, for them to get him completely getting going because there's still a lot of things that he would have to work out to be a dominant uh, type of reliever. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, there is the possibility that the Mets might have their second lefty. Um, if Lucchese has a great spring training, he could technically be a long man. Or if, if Sean Manai is going to spend some time, you know, bullpen and starter, he also could yeah, be a second Yeah, of course. Lefty. That's Especially another, that's another thing I put in. Part. In thought, I made this list after they shine. They signed Manaya. I, I would love to go with uh, Yariel Rodriguez, but I, I think that he's going to command a, a big deal. I mean, I would not be opposed to getting somebody like Jordan Hicks, but in terms of the reliever market, I think that he's obviously going to go after Hater. Like he's going to go after whenever a Hater goes. But I think that you know Jordan Hicks, he's going to go. I think he might get a four-year deal, and he want to be the closer. I, I think that he's he's marketing himself a little bit higher. Uh, than just like, oh, I have this upside and I could be good. But like, you know, we've seen what Jordan Hicks can do. And I don't, I don't many teams that hesitate on that who actually need relief pitching. Your rapid fire stories for this week. Former Mets infielder Luis Guillorme has signed a one year, $1 million deal with the Atlanta Braves. Guillorme spent more than a decade in the Mets organization before being non-tendered by the team earlier this offseason. Mets prospect Ronnie Mauricio has officially undergone ACL reconstruction surgery after sustaining the injury during a Dominican Winter League game with the typical return timetable at 8 to 12 months, the 22-year-old Mauricio will most likely miss the entire 2024 season. The Mets have claimed infielder Diego Castillo off waivers from Arizona. Castillo is 26 years old and posted an 840 OPS in 556 plate appearances for the Diamondbacks AAA affiliate in 2023. The Mets are expected to sign two top 50 international prospects this offseason. Fifth overall ranked prospect, catcher, Giovanni Rodriguez and 43rd overall ranked prospect outfielder Edward Lantigua are expected to sign when the class signings are eligible on January 15th. The KBO's Samsung Lions have signed former Mets pitcher Denny Reyes. Reyes spent all of 2023 in the Mets organization where he pitched just 19.2 innings at the major league level. Parting words for episode number 36. Jerry Kuzman, the legendary number that is retired and one of Frank's favorites, favorite managers all time, Mickey Calloway. And one of my least favorite relievers, Sean Gilmore, because the Mets would bring him in to face Bryce Harper and he'd get robbed. I'm just glad the Mets signed some guys to major league contracts this week. Uh, we've been talking about, you know, sign some guys, get a rotation guy, get an outfielder. They did that. You know, Manaya were okay with Harrisonbury, like we said, not our first pick, but at least they are signing some guys. Now it's a matter of let's get that bat whether it be at DH or third base, and then fixing up the bullpen, and then we'll see what happens. But at least we're starting to get a little bit of a better idea of what this team is going to look like as far as who's on the roster. Uh, we're getting closer to the spring training, I guess. You Now we're going to see who they see some more excess fat, because if they decide to do anything else, somebody's got to go off the 40-man, and there's a couple guys that we could point to to just get him up out of here, and we'll see what other stuff he can pull out of the treasure chest of the Dave. I'm happy in the direction that they're going in. I'm happy what they're doing, to be honest, because this is what they needed to do. They needed to take a step back after what they did the last two years of just throwing money at anything with a pulse. Again, like I've said before, if you did not want an offseason like this, don't hire Billy Epler to do the GM job. But other than that, let's Let's go, Mets. We'll see you guys next week for episode number 37. Peace out.